The second mitzvah that we find in the Torah is found in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. The Almighty tells Abraham, walk before me, be perfect, I'm going to make a pact, a bind, a covenant to me and you and me and your children. I'm going to give you the land of Israel. You're, you're, you're going to become the father of many nations. Many great kings are going to descend from you. But all that is conditional upon you accepting my covenant, which is embodied with the mitzvah of circumcision of bris milah. And this mitzvah is repeated again in Leviticus, so this is quite common where you have a mitzvah given to an individual, to Abraham, before really the formalization of the Jewish nation, it is repeated again in chapter 12 of the book of Leviticus, where we're told that a woman has a baby, and then on the seven, if it's a male son, on the eighth day, she, uh, the, the child is, is circumcised. Now, what is the circumcision? Just quite briefly, it is, uh, the, cutting of the foreskin, which is covering the uh, end of the male organ. And the second part of that process is there's a small membrane that is peeled off. uh, And the way it is classified in Jewish literature, it's the revelation of the crown. And in fact, Talmud says, if you do one without the other, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. It's, there's two parts. There's, number one, the removal of the foreskin. Number two, the peeling away of that, that membrane to reveal the crown. And when the Sefer HaChinuch, which is, again, the book that we are using to follow his overview of the mitzvos, when he describes this, he says, just as a general introduction, that this is... Uh, the, the meaning behind this mitzvah, before he gets into the details of the meaning, he says that the, the general introduction is that man is imperfect until this is done and this is achieving physical perfection. Almost as if it's like when you get a product and the product is is not fully done and there's some portion of the preparation of the product that is done by the recipient, by the consumer. Similarly, the Almighty gives us a, that gives the male a, a body which is incomplete, which is not perfect, and the job of the person is to perfect it. That's his introduction. Now, the next portion of the Sefer Achenoch is where he tries to give a little bit of a, a rationale of the, of the philosophical rationale and, and underpinnings of this mitzvah. And he gives us two Ideas and there's more ideas that we'll see as well. And the first one is that when the Almighty selected us to be his people, and of course that began all the way with Abraham. Abraham was the one who selected God, so to speak, who chose to abide and obey by the dicta of God and accepted upon himself to be the vessel to bring about the will of God in this world. By dint of that, by dint of Abraham's acceptance of God, God said, okay, you're going to be the father of the nation that's going to complete what I have outlined as the mission for humanity in the world. And I'm, as a result of that, I'm going to give them the, the mitzvos and the Torah and the land of Israel and all those other concomitant benefits that come from being God's chosen people. And therefore, the first reason, the first argument he gives is that there's some, there has to be some sort of brand. There has to be some, something that distinguishes these people, this nation that is called the nation of God. There should be some sort of sign, 
branded, implanted, enmeshed in their body to differentiate them. This is a Jew. This is part of the chosen nation. And this is not just a regular standard issue human. That's the first idea that he offers. And he points out that the location is the location of that sign was not arbitrarily selected. Uh, Why? And he points out that this location, of course, that is the epicenter of human continuity, of human perpetuation, of procreation. And therefore, it's, it's, at the, at the nexus of this idea where you have a Jewish people, a Jewish nation, and there is this transmission of ideals and heritage from one generation to the next generation, and therefore specifically at the, at, at the spot where that is done, that's where this brand is implanted. That's what he says. At the epicenter of human continuity, uh, where, uh, the Jewish nation is, is perpetuating from Abraham, you know, a hundred and some odd generations ago till us today. At that location where that is, where that transmission is done, that's where it is placed. That's what he says. And that's his first argument. So the number one, there's this idea that we have to have a brand that differentiates us, which seems to imply, by the way, that even the brand you know, it could be arbitrary. It's, it's just, and we have to have a brand and instead of having a tattoo on our arm or a mohawk on our head or a certain uh, clothing or whatever, it's something that's stamped into our body. That's what he says. Number two, and this is dovetailing about uh, with the idea that he mentioned in the introduction that the Almighty created a world that's not yet perfect. There's a certain partnership that exists or that is that the Almighty is desirous of, where he's going to yield, seed some control of the world to humanity. Like humanity has a, f- a role to play in the world. The Almighty, of course, had all the power, but seeded some of it. And that's the idea of free will, that we have a say. And that's the idea of prayer as well. And that's the idea of us, you know, doing our effort to try to improve our situation, improve the world. And there is some portion of what happens in the world that is given over to mankind. And specifically, the Jewish nation has a larger share per capita of that role because we are the ones who accept upon ourselves to bring God into the world. So it's a very important function that our nation has to play. And therefore, because the Almighty says this, there's this nation that they're going to fulfill his will to bring the world to, to perfection perfect a world that's not yet perfect. Therefore, he gave them the secret to perfect themselves, both in body and in soul. And therefore, when Abraham is selected, he says, okay, here's the, here's the key, here's the secret. You should know that I made you imperfect, even though the human body is incredibly engineered almost to perfection, but it's not fully to perfection. There's one small blemish that needs to be rectified. And that is symbolic of perfection in the body, but that should, of course, extend to perfection in the soul. And he doesn't say this, but I'm going to say this. And that should extend not just on the individual level, a human perfecting his body, his his or her body, and and his or her soul, but it should extend to the whole world or to at least the nation at large, that just like there is a uh, imperfection in the human there's an imperfection in the world, and in fact, the precise imperfection that appears in man is the same exact imperfection on a larger scale that appears 
in the world. And the mitzvah of bris milah is perfection of man. And what it symbolizes can it be extended to the perfection in the world. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of drill down to that particular point in, in just a bit. Again, what we're going to do is we're going to follow the, uh, the writings of the Sefer Chinuch, and then we're going to add either more color, more detail to, to the discussion. The Sefer Chinuch continues with a brief survey of some of the laws, and he also points to you where, points you to where you would find the complete treatment of the laws in the Talmud and the various other sources. So for example, uh, one of the unique characteristics of this mitzvah is that it supersedes Shabbos and holidays. So generally speaking, one of the 39 prohibitions on Shabbos is surgery uh, or you can't slaughter an animal on Shabbos. So one of the 39 prohibitions is slaughtering an animal, which means cutting, doing any sort of cutting in flesh or skin. And therefore, by that standard, bris milah would would be a transgression, the circumcision would be a transgression of one of the 39 prohibited acts on Shabbos. However, the verse says quite clearly, on the eighth day, the circumcision should happen, which the Talmud understands. On the eighth day, regardless of what the day is, it could be Shabbos, it could be Yom Kippur, it could be Shabbos, any Kippur together, it could be holidays, festivals, doesn't matter, the circumcision overrides Shabbos. And this is a classic example of a principle that we find in the Talmud that sometimes certain mitzvot, if you have one mitzvah on one side, one mitzvah on the other side, and they're in direct conflict, there's all, there's an entire section of, of Talmud that deals with which one do you choose? Is it possible to fulfill both of them? Does the positive override the negative? What's the positive? What's the negative? In what instances would that apply? But this is an example where you have a positive mitzvah of circumcision, a negative mitzvah of prohibition of a restriction against transgression of one of the third principles of work that we can't do in Shabbos. And here we see that the positive overrides the negative in most cases. So for example, I was born Friday night. So the eighth day is, again, Shabbos. The, the, the eighth day is always the same day of the birth because the day of the birth counts and the day of the circumcision counts. So I was born Friday night on Shabbos. After it was already nightfall, so it's already Shabbos. And my bris, my circumcision was done the following Shabbos. My son, Yehoshua, I shall live and be well, was born uh, Saturday morning, Shabbos morning, and he too was circumcised on Shabbos morning the following week. However, there are certain instances where the circumcision would not override Shabbos. I'll give you another example. My father, he shall live and be well, was born in the period, the twilight zone between Friday and Shabbos. There's a certain period where it's uncertain. There's a few, there's, there, there, there's, uh, about an hour or so where we don't know. Is it, is it Friday? Is it Shabbos? It's kind of in the, in the gray zone. And therefore, in such an instance, the child will be circumcised not on Friday, not on Shabbos, but the following Sunday, which is definitely not day eight because you can't do day seven. You can't do Friday because maybe he was born on Shabbos and that would be day seven. You can't do Shabbos because maybe he was born on Friday and that would be day nine. And the only time you're allowed to override Shabbos with a circumcision if it's on day eight. Therefore, you have to do a circumcision on Sunday. So that's just one example. And there's many other examples of these kinds of questions. And he just says, okay, read the whole chapter and good luck. You'll know the answer. And he also tells us that at a circumcision ceremony, there are two distinct blessings. When you do a mitzvah, sometimes you say that you say the blessing. Most mitzvahs have a, certainly a, a ceremonial, ritualistic mitzvahs have a blessing that you do beforehand. And here there's two separate blessings implying that there's two separate mitzvahs almost. What are those two blessings? 
So the first one is the person who does the actual circumcision says the blessing Asher Kedishem Savitzivanu Al Hamila on the bris mila, and the father, or if there is no father, for whatever reason, whoever is overseeing the circumcision makes a second blessing Asher Kedishem Savitzivanu commanded us with his uh, with his mitzvos and uh, two and commanded us to enter the child in the covenant of Abraham, a forefather, which is which is the second element of the mitzvah, is that we're ushering a child into something very special, a very special select fraternity that was inaugurated by Abraham. And after those blessings are concluded, there is a saying that the uh, everyone who is present says, Tishem shenichnas lebris, just as the child entered the covenant, the circumcision covenant, so too will the Almighty help him to enter Torah and to enter the wedding canopy and to enter and to enter the world of good deeds of mitzvos. And finally, the last section of the Sefer Chinuch deals with the question of applicability. It applies in all places, not just the land of Israel, anywhere. If you have a Mars colony and there's a Jewish child born there, there would, there would be circumcised there as well. At all, in all times. It's not something which is limited to times the temple is extant, etc. Now, of course, women are not obligated, as we know, but also the Talmud says that people who are not themselves obligated are not obligated to do it to their children. So, because the woman is not obligated in it, she is not obligated in circumcising her son, that would be her husband's job because he's obligated himself to be circumcised and therefore is obligated to circumcise his son. But if the father's not there or whatever reason, then it applies to the whole Jewish nation. So the way the Talmud explains is that it's a, it's, it's a responsibility on the collective, on the court, for example. Uh, and therefore, if the child child's father is not present or is not alive, it would be an obligation on the entire Jewish people. And in that, the woman, the mother, would be as responsible as everyone else. And finally, the Sefer Chinuch tells us that there is something that's unique about this mitzvah that applies in only one of the other 613 mitzvahs. And that is, that this mitzvah is so important, so critical to what it means to be a Jew, that if someone says, I'm not interested, or if someone, let's say, does circumcision reversal surgery, which was more common in the past than it is today, uh, the halacha is, quotes the verse, it's in fact in, in Genesis, such a person cuts themselves off from the Jewish people. They are disenfranchised from the Jewish people. And the commentaries point out that there's only two positive mitzvos, two positive commandments, that it has that very harsh penalty of disenfranchisement from the Jewish people, and that is A, circumcision, B, Pesach. If someone does not fulfill the, pe- the pastoral offering, then they are, again, cutting themselves off from the Jewish people. That, too, is something which is so critical, so central to Jewish identity. If someone says they don't want that, they're disavowing their Jewish identity. Now, there's many negative mitzvahs that it has that same harsh consequence, but only two positive mitzvahs, these two, uh, which uh, is noteworthy. And I've posited in the past that there's only really, there's really two mitzvahs that are almost universally observed by all segments of the Jewish nation at almost all times in history, and that is everyone has a Seder, everyone participates uh, in Pesach, and almost all Jews circumcise 
their sons, even Jews that are distant from Torah, ignorant of its laws, disinterested in its worldview, still this is something because my theory is that their soul just doesn't allow them to reject because the soul wants to cling on to what it means to be part of the Jewish nation. And they can't explain their rationale for it, but they just feel compelled and obliged to maintain these parts of their heritage. Okay, so let's let's dig in a little bit more about this mitzvah. So the first thing I think is important to note, the Talmud says a very uh, striking take on this mitzvah. It tells us that this one mitzvah is equal or representative of all the mitzvahs in the Torah. Now, what's interesting is that there's actually seven mitzvahs that are given that characteristic, that are we're told about it, that this is emblematic, representative of all the mitzvahs put together. But it is certainly noteworthy that we're told uh, that this one mitzvah, if you just understand this mitzvah, you really see what the general objective is with all of Torah. Additionally, the Talmud says uh, that if not for this one mitzvah, then the rules of heaven and earth would not be maintained, which means it's it's like from a spiritual perspective, it's it's the spiritual lifeblood that keeps the world going. So what do we learn a little bit more about this mitzvah, the reasons why, and what, what's what's the meaning for us? You know, I, I was circumcised a long time ago, and it seems like it's a one-off thing. You do it and you're done. But actually, the more we learn about the mitzvah, about what it represents we actually understand that it's actually the, the ideals, the principles of the mitzvah extend far beyond the ceremony that happens a week into the child's life. So the first thing to note is that the introduction of chapter 17 of Genesis, where Abraham is told to circumcise himself and his whole household, the, 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 it begins, Walk before me and be perfect. And the commentaries point out that when it says walk before me, that's not a one-time thing. For example, we're told to vehalachta bedrachav. You should walk in the ways of God. Of course, that refers to more than just isolated one-off events. Rather, it's it's a certain lifestyle. It's a sort of weltenschag. It's a certain way of living that you're walking before God. And because that's the introduction to this mitzvah, Clearly, there's something that this mitzvah represents that is applicable to your whole life. Even though it's the, it's initiated, the actual activity is initiated at the beginning of the life, but your whole life you should walk before God in the way that's represented by this mitzvah. So this is one of the answers to the question, why is this mitzvah not given or some equivalent to this mitzvah given to women? And the answer is, well, it is. What this mitzvah embodies, what it represents, applies to all Jews, irrespective of whether they actually did this mitzvah before they even remember it, right, when the first week of life. So the, so yes, while the ceremony is done to the male exclusively, the ideals and the principles of the mitzvah are applicable to all Jews, the male and the female, throughout their lives. That's the first answer. The, the second answer, uh, or a second answer, is that we view we, when I say we, I mean the Jewish philosophically, we view the man and, and the wife, the man and the woman, as two parts of one whole. 
And therefore, when we find mitzvahs that are applicable to one and not the other, regardless of this mitzvah to the woman that doesn't apply to the man, or this mitzvah to the man doesn't apply to the woman, that doesn't mean that this mitzvah is lost on the other half. Rather, it means that as a team, as a unit, there's some parts that are his responsibility and some parts that are her responsibility, just like we're in football season. And in football season, you know that there's all kinds of different roles. And if, if someone, I always say, like, you take a, take a European who doesn't know nothing about football, right? and you say, like, hey, this is a football team. You're like, doesn't make any sense. There's some huge guys with huge muscles, but kind of very heavy set, and these little puny guys. And they, they're all built differently. It's so bizarre. Like, soccer players, they all kind of look the same, like phys- their physique. And here in football, because everyone's very specialized, you know, you have the, the linemen, which are very big and very strong and very quick. And then you have the receivers, very kind of small little guys who run, run like the wind. And there's, there's really short, stout running backs. And the fullback has his look. It's kind of, but the point is, it's, it's a team. And therefore, each one of them fu- has different functions, different roles. But together, if, if all parts were together, it works well. That's, that's, that's optimized. Similarly, we look at the man and the woman as two halves of one whole in a team and a, a spiritual, a single, solitary spiritual unit. Yes, the responsibilities here and the responsibilities there, but on their own, they can't really flourish. Just like you have a great quarterback without an offensive lineman to protect him, it's not going to work out very well. Similarly, together, they create the unified spiritual unit that could walk before God and achieve achieve that mission. So yes, there's some instances that apply to the men and not to the women, some to women, not to the men. And the first answer, I think, is that yes, the principle applies to both of them. The second answer is, is that together as a unit, they could forge ahead and, and the Almighty knows exactly what to instruct the man and what to instruct the woman to achieve the optimal results. So there's an interesting debate found in the Talmud between Rabbi Akiva and uh, a Roman nobleman by the name of Turnus Rufus. He was uh, the governor of the Judea area in the end of the first and beginning of the second century. There's a few instances in the Talmud where there's a debate. Is the Romans love to jostle philosophically with the rabbis. And in one debate, uh, Turnus Rufus thinks he's going he's gonna to ask a question and he's going to be able to one up the rabbi. So his question was, he says, okay, whose actions are better or grander? The actions of God or the actions of man? And of course, he's trying to spring a trap to Rabbi Kiva, who does not fall for it. So he says, no, no, no. Rabbi Kiva responds, the actions of man. So he says, the actions of man? What here? God created the whole world. Man can do that. How do you say the actions of man are, are better? He says, well, okay, fine. You know, I can't create the world. But in the realm that man could do, that's greater than God. And then he says, okay, what's my question? My question is, why do you circumcise? So Rekiva says, aha, I knew that was your question. That's why I answered your original question in that manner. Your question is, hey, God created man uncircumcised. And we say, no, 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 we have a better idea. We're going to fix it. And how could you do that? You know, how could you tamper with the Almighty's handiwork. And that's why Rabbi Kiva preempted it by saying, no, 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 man's handiwork is better. So Rabbi Kiva brought him an example. He says, okay, he brought some, he brought a, a, a loaf of bread and he brought a fistful of wheat. And he says, well, which one's better? The wheat comes from God 
but the bread comes from man. Which one do you want to have for breakfast? And then he kind of wraps up this whole idea by saying that the Almighty gave us mitzvos to perfect ourselves. Meaning that the Almighty by design creates us imperfect, but wants us to do what we can to perfect ourselves. And this, again, is the same idea in general that we mentioned earlier, that the mitz- this mitzvah underscores the principle that we're not perfect, and that's by design. And the mighty says, I want you to take my instructions to perfect yourself. Abraham was great, but the mighty tells him, you're not perfect. You have to f- do this, and then you'll become perfect. Now, that, that's on a general, just the general principle that we see here right. in this mitzvah. So how does how exactly does circumcision, how does that represent, how is it emblematic of perfection? How is this idea that you're imperfect when you're uncircumcised and you're perfect when you become circumcised? So the Talmud says something very important. The Talmud says that the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, it has seven different names. And one of those names is uncircumcised. And collecting some of the traditional philosophic ideas on this mitzvah, what is revealed with the circumcision is what's called a crown. It's called in Jewish, all Jewish terminology, what's revealed is called a crown. And that's emblematic. The relationship between the foreskin and the crown is the exact same relationship between our soul, which embodies the crown of God, and the Yetzirah, meaning that the deepest relationship possible between man and God already exists within each and every human. Why? Because we have a soul. And the soul is the closest thing in the world to God. And therefore, the path, the conduit that man can have a relationship with God. The problem is that the soul is covered. It's concealed. What's it covered with? It's covered with what's called a Yetzirah, evil inclination, which makes man misidentify him or herself as a body. The body now is what what, what you are, what you think you are, and you ignore the soul. So the crown of God is concealed. It's there. It's present. It's concealed. With Torah in general, the objective is to cut away at the thing that's covering your soul, to cut away at the Yetzirah, and expose the crown of God, to unearth the latent relationship that we already have with God by removing the contaminants that are blockading it, which is why, again, like we said, the mitzvah is two parts. It's A, removing the contaminant, and B, revealing the crown. And similarly, this that's what the mitzvah is. That the mitzvah is representative of this idea that we have a crown of God already within us. It's covered. We have to cut away what's covering it and pull down everything, all the contaminants, and expose the relationship that we have with God to the surface. Similarly, on a worldwide scale, in Jewish philosophy, we believe that the Almighty is already here. The Almighty created the whole world. This is His handiwork. Yet, we cannot interact or interface with God on a sensory level. It's almost as if the the great artist of this tapestry is hidden. It's there, but it's hidden. And the Jewish national mission on the whole is to remove all the things that are obscure in God and thus reveal God to the world. 
So thus, both on an individual level and on a universal level, this mitzvah, which we initiate on a child at the very beginning of the child's life, is emblematic of all mitzvahs in general, like the Talmud says. It's, it's, it's equal. It's representative of all mitzvahs because what mitzvahs in general are trying to do to us is manifested in this mitzvah, to remove the things that blockade God and expose the crown of God to the world. And this very much relates to the initial sin of Adam in Jewish perspective. For example, the Talmud says something very unusual. It says that Adam was created circumcised, but Adam reversed his circumcision. He underwent circumcision reversal procedures that we talked about. Now, if you read that simply, it sounds like he was engaging with uh, some sort of physical activity alterations to his body. That's what you would understand simply. But on a deeper level, what this is actually telling us is that Adam, before his sin, Adam and Eve, that is, before their sin and afterwards, they were physiologically altered. And Rashi Ray tells us, uh, and it's, again, this is the understanding, the, the simple understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis, is that Adam was created perfect, i.e. without anything internally concealing the crown of God. He didn't have a Yetzirah. He There was a force compelling evil, but that was not his. That was something external as representative, represented by the serpent. What happens? As a result of the sin, he alters the reality of mankind by imbibing, by embracing the Sahara and having both good and evil operating simultaneously within him. He became knowledgeable of good and evil. So in the, in, the, in the perspective that we see here in this mitzvah, he was perfect and he created this imperfection, which the whole Torah in general is there to undo what he did. It's, he introduced the foreskin, so to speak, by covering over the crown of God, by introducing the other factors that disrupt that. And the objective of, of, of humanity thenceforth is to have Torah and to restore the conditions that existed in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve's sin. The Ramban Nachmanides adds another wrinkle to the mitzvah of circumcision. And he writes that the location of this particular mitzvah in the human body is, again, not a coincidence. It's not, ar- it's not arbitrary. It's done at the point where man's struggle with sin and lust is greatest. And it's almost as if it's a reminder to only use that great power for what is permitted and what is a mitzvah. Again, in, in, in Judaism, we don't believe that all carnal activity is necessarily bad. Some of it's permitted, some of it's prohibited, some of it is in fact a mitzvah. And therefore, putting God's stamp there to remind us to use this very great power for the right things. In addition, this is a deep, a deep and subtle point. In addition, that particular organ is really representative of the great conflict that exists in our lives. We have a soul, which is eternal. We have a body 
that not only is not eternal, but every single second is constantly uh, discarding cells and creating new ones. So it's not even a fixed entity. The, the person that you are today is not the person you are tomorrow. The body you are today is not the body you are, you'll, you'll, ha- you'll have tomorrow and not the body that you had yesterday. Yet, we're convinced, thanks to our Sahara, that that's who we are. That's our entity. That's our existence. And this conflict of, are you going to identify as an eternal soul that's you forever, that was since the six days of creation and will exist forever? Or are you this body, which is this ever-changing thing that we all know for sure within the next 70 or 150 years is going to be stopping, stopping to work at all and become functionally useless and be put on the ground and, as we will read later on in Pergravos, to be munched upon by worms and maggots. Yet the Eitzahara convinces us that that's who you are. And that's what, that's that half of you, you ought to prioritize. And even in this particular organ, it's incredible the, the, the vast gulf that exists between its eternal capacities, its procreational capacities, the idea that you could still biologically exist in a thousand years due to this organ. On the other hand, it could be a tool of just here and now, just bodily pleasure. And that's the, the greatest dichotomy of one organ with one function and the vast polar differences in outcome. Similarly, we have body and soul, and we have very, very vast polarized outcomes if you choose to identify as a body and optimize for its betterment and then really you have nothing eternal. The body is certainly not eternal, whereas the soul is eternal. And therefore, if you prioritize and optimize that, the benefits are eternal. And that, again, is representative of this conflict that we have in our lives. And the, the fact that the circumcision was placed there is no coincidence. And thus, we see all these ideas that we find uh, in the philosophical rationale for this mitzvah really give us a lot of the Jewish mission and the Jewish perspective on life in one fell swoop. It's not a surprise when the Talmud tells us that this mitzvah represents all mitzvahs. And the fact that what Abraham started to reveal God to the world, to expose the crown of God to the world, he's given this mitzvah is also not a coincidence. He was the one who personally, and through his efforts to, through other people, was doing yeoman's work to bring the crown of God to the world. God says, okay, I'm going to give you the one mitzvah that represents that. So it's a very special mitzvah. It's the first first one given to Abraham, the first done to a child in their life. If someone wants to join the Jewish people, this is part of the initiation process. It's the characteristic attribute of our nation. Like, for example, in Genesis, we also read about uh, the episode of Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and her fleeing with the non-Jewish, the Canaanites in Shechem, and how that worked out, but again, there was some deception there. But what does the sons of Jacob tell uh, those people? Well, you can't join us if you're uncircumcised. And in fact, in Jewish sources, one of the nicknames of Jews and non-Jews is circumcised and uncircumcised. And it's also interesting that throughout history, this mitzvah has been banned and prohibited more than any other one, already going back to the times of Antiochus, 170 years before the Common Era or so, in his edicts that spurred the Maccabean Revolt, one of the things that he prohibited was circumcision. Later on, Hadrian as well, and the Hadrianic persecutions of the 130s, which led to the Bar Kokhba Revolt. Many, many times 
and Jewish history, and the most recently, of course, in the Soviet Union, even today, some places in the world are still trying to attack this one mitzvah. Why is this the object of their fury? And according to Jewish perspective, we would say is that because this is the one thing that really represents us, and it's almost like a proxy attack on the Jewish nation when you attack this one mitzvah that represents it. Just end off with one idea that we see in the Talmud. Uh, now, uh, as a disclaimer, there's many, many, many things that we could talk about this mitzvah. We tried to talk about some, uh, we tried to highlight some of the important ones, some of the central ones to try to get a picture of this mitzvah in the brief time that we have allotted for it. But just one little idea, vignette that we see in the Talmud to share. And the Talmud says that we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Why don't we wear tefillin on Shabbos or festivals? Says the Talmud that there's three mitzvos that are characterized by the Torah as an os, which means a sign, a sign of a relationship between man and God. And they are tefillin and Shabbos and bris and circumcision. And just like in a Jewish court of law, you have to have two witnesses to prove something. So too, we always have to have two witnesses, two signs symbolizing our commitment to God. And during the week, we have our circumcision and we have our tefillin. And on Shabbos, we have our circumcision and our Shabbos. And therefore, because you already have two signs, you don't need to wear tefillin on Shabbos, which is an interesting idea that the mitzvah of circumcision is this sign symbolizing the relationship that we have to God. It is appropriately one of the mitzvahs that are labeled as representative of all mitzvahs in general. And fittingly, it is the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, to Abraham, and to the Jewish individual's Jewish child at the beginning of their lives.